I'm going to take your Bibles uh, with me, open to the book of Ephesians, is where we'll be spending most of our time, Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue our series that we've been doing together, looking at God's generosity uh, towards us, and then we'll eventually see how that plays out as well in our life. Last week, though, our main focus was to see God's generosity to man in Christ, how in Christ he has been very uh, generous to us. We're going to kind of continue on that, but... Just a quick recap, you know, man rebelled against God's generosity. God was kind to man in creation, and what man did is rebelled in sin. Man caused corruption, caused death. Man found himself then in a position where he needed to be repaired but couldn't do it himself. There was an issue. And so, as we talked about last week, we saw God stepped in to that. And what God does is he offers a fix for our problem. There is a solution to our problem. Jesus gave of himself to save mankind. That was the solution to the problem. And we saw that this offer was made, and we talked about it again uh, last week, through Jesus' life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, and that it was, it's ours if you're willing to take it. It's there for you. That offer is there to be forgiven of your sin, to become a child of God. Eventually, as I said, what I want to get to is we're going to get to how God's generosity drives us then to be generous. Uh, even in God working through us, we see his generosity because he, he uses us. Look, look, if you will, in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. This isn't our main text, but uh, it kind of drives where we're going. In, in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's the big verse, verse 23. This is where we're heading. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In all, And the reason that happens is because we see God's generosity, and when God changes a person, we then become generous. And we'll look at that over the next couple of weeks. But today, what I want us to see, and I hope that we grasp, is what we have been given in Christ. We talked about it some a little bit last week, but we're going to see it hopefully more fully uh, this week. I'll never be able to cover, and we definitely can't do it today, all that we've been given in Christ. We're just going to see some of what we've been given in Christ. But I hope that you do continue to see God's generosity in, in Jesus. And I hope that it doesn't get old or stale to you. It shouldn't. To be amazed at his generosity. Now, we know that we can all take generosity for granted. You know, when you have a friend, let's say, who is generous, and the first couple times they are generous towards you, they buy you a meal or whatever, uh, maybe it's embarrassing or you accept it and you're very grateful for it. But it's weird how sometimes... That person continues to be generous. We expect it. Right? All of a sudden you go to McDonald's with so-and-so and they didn't pay. And you're like, what in the world's wrong with them? They always pay. 
right? We just, we just take it for granted. And I'm afraid that in the church, we do this with Christ. We start to take for granted what we have in Christ. We start to take for granted if you've been, had the privilege of being raised in church, maybe you've heard you know, how Christ loves you and what he has done for you, and it becomes old hat to you. And it shouldn't be that way. It's what sustains us. It's, it's the promises of God through Christ that allow us to remember who we are in him, to allow us to be able to live in life when it's difficult, when there's struggle. It allows us to put, when life is easy, to put it in perspective, right, of, of everything that is going on. And so I want to use Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 through 14 as our, as our jump off to see some of the great truths uh, that we see that we have in Christ, what we have in Christ. So uh, I'll begin in verse 1, read to verse 14, and then we'll, we'll dive into them, okay? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and pre- peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, there's a lot in these sections. When we went through Ephesians, I think, I think verses 1 through 14 was five sermons as we looked at it together. That won't be that long, I don't think, today. But I just want to pull out some of this, again, to remind us of God's generosity in Christ. And the first one is in verse 7. And we spoke of this some last week. But we see in here, in verse 7, it says, The forgiveness of our trespasses. In Christ, we are forgiven of our trespasses. We are forgiven of our sins. Now, all of our sins, the Bible tells us, are washed away by the blood of the spotless lamb. In his perfection, in his perfect death, we see our sins being washed away. Now, There is something to this, though, that we have to remember is we have to be willing to accept it. See, the way way we ended service last week was to take it. Take the offer. Here it is for you. Accept Christ's salvation. Accept his forgiveness. And this is where we can get hung up because we can start to think, I don't need it. We can start to think that I'm I'm good enough, you know, and this isn't necessary for me. Or we could start to think, How can what he did that long ago do anything for me today? And we're not willing to accept it. You see, we we must be willing to accept this for it to be true in our in our life. We we need to understand that yes, I'm a I'm a sinner, and I believe that what Jesus did, what he did upon that cross, he did he did for me. 
He did for my sins so that I can be forgiven when we think about all of our sin. All right, I, I, I dare you to think about that for a little bit. Think about all the sin you've done in your life. It's, it becomes astonishing. It becomes very embarrassing. I'm sure there are times when you come to church on Sunday morning and you just simply think about the sin you committed this past week and you feel ashamed. You don't even want to look people in the eye. When you sing the songs, you don't really want to sing the songs because you're embarrassed because of your sin of the past week, aren't you? When we look at all this sin, we see it as bad. Yet, what this is telling us here is that God knows all of your sin. There's none of it that escapes him. There's none of it that he, he says, well, I wasn't really thinking about that one. No, it's all of your sin, and yet he still forgives you. He still forgives you. I would guess you've had people in your life before where you forgave them for something, and then later more came out, and you said, I wouldn't have forgiven them if I would have known all that. I wouldn't have been friends with them if I would have known all of that about them. Right? You, there's, a, there's a struggle there with that. But yet, God knows us completely. He knows us fully. And yet, he offers us forgiveness in Christ. Again, you know for us, and we, we've talked about this before in here, for us, forgiveness is a fickle thing. I mean, we like to think we're people of forgiveness, but you and I both know that there's some parameters that have to be set up before we're willing to forgive each other. But there's some things that that need to be done and before, before forgiveness can really happen. You might even have to prove yourself to me before I forgive you, right? Uh, it, it, it's hard for us to, to forgive, but yet God forgives those he saves, and the Bible tells us he, he forgives it, and then he forgets it. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, uh, he, Isaiah would write, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. This is what happens. This is what is taking place. This is what is being offered. God is saying, I will blot them out, and I will forgive you, and I will not re- remember them. They are, they are gone. And so what does this do for us sinners? It should relieve us. This God knows everything about me, good and bad. And he forgives, and he forgets those sins. He, he wipes it away because of the blood of of Christ. And as we begin to understand this and, and process what is happening, that, that we are forgiven of our sins in Christ, this causes us then, it should at least as Christians, to never leave the cross. The, the cross should be something that's always on our mind because it's on that cross that he paid for my sins. It's on that cross where the blood is being spilt that would wipe away my sins forever. And so we should never get to the point as Christians to where we say, you know, the cross was great to learn about in children's church. I remember, you know, doing the crafts and we, we made the cross and they said, well, what's something bad you did this week? And so we, we took the sticker and we put it on the cross being reminded that God forgave me of my sins. And we should never get past that though. Every day you could come in here and put a sticker on the cross and that forgiveness is still there. It's still there. We are people of the cross and we don't leave the cross because that's where our sins are forgiven. It never gets old. We, we love to hear about the cross because of what was accomplished there. But as we have forgiveness of sins, we go to the next thing which we see in verse 7 and 8 here in Ephesians is in Christ, we have this forgiveness and through that forgiveness also comes freedom from sin as well. 
God provides for us freedom from our sin. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul would write this to the Galatians. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, you remember Paul in Galatians, he's, he's writing as people are starting to go back to some old Jewish ways, and he's saying, don't do this. Christ has set us free. There's, there's freedom in the gospel. And here in verse 7, Paul says that we have been redeemed in Ephesians 1.7. We've been redeemed. We've been, we've been purchased. We've been bought back, but it was a price. We've been, we've been bought back. And what have we been bought back from? Well, from sin. We've been bought, brought back from sin, that Christ has paid the ransom with his life. Sin has held us hostage. We have been rebels of God, yes, but we have been slaves to sin. But Christ has come to break us free from the bonds of sin. So the blood and the life of Jesus was the cost of my freedom. It's the, it's the cost of your freedom. Again, this is where uh, you hear some debate within the church today and some frustration. And I'm, I, I know it's valid. I'm sure it's valid. But um, have you heard of like Christian nationalists? Have you heard that before on the news or anything like that? You, you hear a thing within uh, church circles of a struggle where the line seems to be so blurred as, are you a Christian or are you an American or are you both or what? Because it seems to be you're fighting more for American causes than you are for Christian causes, right? And there's, I don't know, there's just some debate about that and, and some people have some, some struggles uh, with that. I, I don't know if it always has to be as, as bad as everybody says it is. But when you think about freedom, right, when we talk about it as a country, I know I was taught that there were men and women who went and fought and what they fight for? What do we say? They fight for your freedom. And so I was told, you know, Tim, you know why you're allowed to play baseball today? Because there's people who fought for your freedom. You don't even know who they are or whatever. And so you should be thankful. And so that's why we, whatever. That's why we say the Pledge of Allegiance. That's why we do all this stuff. Okay, that's, that's great. I'm not against any of that. But as Christians, we have one who died in our place. Why? For your freedom. Not freedom to live, you know, just a good life and have the opportunity to build your way up and live the American dream, which again, I don't have anything against. But we have a God who came, suffered and died for your sin so that you could be free from sin. So that, so that you no longer had to be enslaved to this, to this sin in your life. You could be actually free from it. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians. You're, you are redeemed. I've, I've purchased you back. You are, you are free. You're not held captive anymore. And so now we have the, the power as Christians because the Holy Spirit lives in our life, because we have the Holy Spirit, we actually now can fight sin. We actually now can have victory over sin in our life. Now, I'm sure that we struggle with sin, but if you've been a Christian very long, I would, I would almost guarantee if you've been a Christian very long in your life, you can look back and you can see how God has changed you over time. He's worked in your life, and that's a promise that we are given, that he's worked in your life so that you can fight sin, so that you can overcome sin in your life. Now, you're never going to be perfect until we lay eyes on God in glory. But I think we can all look back and say, God really does, has done a work in my life to Help me overcome this, to help me battle this. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, ah, but I still struggle with that. I still struggle with that. Yeah, but I'll bet you you've gotten better. 
I'll bet you God has, has worked in you to get better. Now, don't get me wrong. This ebbs and flows at time. But I know I can look in my life and say, you know, God has done this for me. God has allowed me to see the sin of pride and to try to fight that sin of pride. And I don't think I'm as prideful as I once was, but I still have it. But, right, it's still growing. Or humility or patience or uh, anger, dealing with anger or lust. Or we can go on and on and on, can't we, with the sin God has freed us from this, and he allows us to to fight this. He allows us to see progression in these things. Why? It's because God works in us through Jesus. Now again, I know we won't all overcome sin until we see Jesus face to face, but we know that even in that, even when I fall short, when I'm, let's say I'm working on anger, let's say I'm working on the issue of anger, and I'm saying, God, okay, you freed me from this, so help me today, and I don't know. One of the kids won't get up when they're supposed to. And what do you do right away? Yell. And you're all angry. And you're like, I lasted 45 seconds today before I yelled. And I'm already falling short. But you say, well, Pastor Tim, where's there freedom in that? There's freedom in this. I go back to the cross and he says, forgiven. Forgiven. Wiped clean. It's gone. I remember it no more. And so there's great freedom in going back again to the cross and remembering the forgiveness that we have. Well, if you look at verse 5, there's another great truth that we're given in Christ. It says he predestined us for what? For adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ for the purpose of his will. We can stand amazed today. If you've trusted in Christ, if you've been saved by his grace, understanding that God Almighty would choose you to be a part of his family. Again, this is something we should never get past. God doesn't, God doesn't save you and say, you know what? I'm so glad you're a part of my team. That's not the language. You know, I, I saved you and I'm glad that you're now part of the workforce here. It's not just even, hey, you're now part of a kingdom. You're now part of a nation. You're now part of this. It goes way beyond that. There is some of that language that you can find in scripture, can't you, of the kingdom of God and all this stuff. But what Paul is telling us here is he says, no, no, no you're, you're a lot more than that. You're not just a friend of God, not just a coworker, but a child of God. You're a part of the family of God. And now, think about that. Think of, think of how that works and what all is involved there. Who in their right mind would go to their enemy and say, I want to adopt you into my family? We don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. That's not how it works. But yet that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. We are sinners. We are rebels. We are standing against him. The Bible says our father is Satan himself. Yet God would say, I choose you to be a part of my family. And he's done that how? Through Christ. And so knowing this, that, I'm, that I am a child of, of God, that he is my father, it allows me, it allows you to cry out to God, how? As our Father. As Jesus told us to pray. Our Father. As it is in heaven. Right? We, we go to him as a Father and not, not some unknowing Father. We go to him as the Father who loves us and who, who cares for us. And how do we know that he loves us and he cares for us? Because it says in Ephesians, he's, he's chosen us to be a part of his family. He's, he's adopted us into his family for his good and for his purposes. And so we don't have to go to him afraid. No, we go to him because we know that he, that he loves us. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's only begotten son. This was his son that he put forth as propitiation for us. And now because of that, we being in him, we are children of God as well. And so what does it say in verse 3? Because we are his, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with what? With every spiritual blessing. Absolutely every spiritual blessing. As a child of God, there's, there's nothing that you haven't been given spiritually. Nothing. You've been given it all. Everything. You know, we like to... We like to take tests, it seems like. We like to take personality tests, and the church kind of grafts onto that. And we like to take spiritual gift tests. I'm sure you've, if you're, if you're over the age of 30, you've took a spiritual gift test probably in church or Sunday school at some point in time. And it kind of pigeonholes you when you're like, man, it says that I'm really good at giving. And you're like, what? I've got to give all my money now to do my, do my gift, right? The problem with those things I have is that we start to think, well, I'm not very good at evangelism, so... I mean, the test says it, so I don't really, I don't really have to do it. You know, if, if the test says you're not generous, does that mean, <laughs> whatever, I don't have to be generous anymore? No, that's not how it works. You see, we can't take some test to say, well, what spiritual blessing has God given me today? Paul says it very clearly in Ephesians. As a child of God, you've been given every spiritual blessing, all of them, every single one. Maybe think about it this way. In your family, I bet you there are some traits that you are happy you got. Right? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. Like in the movie Twins, you're like, I'm DeVito. I'm, I'm the bad one. I got the bad, bad stuff. No, we all got traits that we enjoy and that we like, but we all also have traits that we don't like. Right? We, we look in the mirror and we're like, there's Grandpa's nose. I mean, it is, there it is. Right? And we don't, we don't like that. And what we've been given in Christ is every good thing. Everything. Nothing is withheld from you. Uh, nothing at all. You can't sit there and think, God, why wouldn't you do this for me? He has. He's done it all for you. Everything. Absolutely every spiritual thing you need, you, you have. It's yours because you are in Christ. God, the creator of all things, has adopted you into his family. And then we see he has given you Every privilege and blessing that comes with it. Everything. There is not a blessing he doesn't give you. They are all yours in Jesus. All of it. All of it is yours. You see, and this is where I think we struggle. This is a, a little side note because I think this is where we start to get bored. We start to think not enough of the spiritual blessings this is why there's a certain type of preaching that is so popular today. I know Spencer was joking with me this week. He, he texted me and asked if I was going to preach on the great exchange. And I hope you don't even know what that means. I don't want you to even think about it. But there, there are preachers out there who, who preach what the blessings are is financial. What the blessings are that you should be looking for is material. Because as we gain material blessing and as we gain these things, what the outside world will see is they'll see, we want that. How are you getting it? Well, I'm getting it from the love of my Father. Come. You'll get it too. You see, the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, of forgiveness, of, of freedom, of salvation, of what we're going to get to as an, an inheritance, of spending eternity with him in glory forever, that's, that's not appealing. That's boring. What am I going to get? What else am I going to get? And 
I want to warn us of that this morning. God is not withholding anything from you. In Christ, he has given it all to you. Would you say that God the Father withheld stuff from Jesus? I would guess you'd say no. Jesus obediently did what? Went to a cross and died. God didn't withhold anything from him. And we are in Christ. Everything is ours. And so in verse 11 through 13 of Ephesians 1, we see another truth, which I just mentioned. In Christ, we have a guaranteed inheritance. See, when Jesus left this earth, he promised us that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell amongst us. And so being in Christ now, we have the Holy Spirit. This, this is true. We see it on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit does many things for us. And we're not going to take time to go off on that right now. That's not the time. But he prays for us. The Holy Spirit strengthens us, opens our eyes to the truth. But the main thing that the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's work is. It is pointing us to Jesus at all times. And what here Paul is selling us is he's saying the Holy Spirit has guaranteed our inheritance. That's the proof of it. You want proof you have an inheritance? You have the Holy Spirit who seals that inheritance. Now, we'll talk a little more about this inheritance in a moment, but what we see is it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. The Holy Spirit's the one who seals it, not you and not myself. And that's the biggest struggle. You see, when I look at you guys, I don't look at you guys and think, they could take it from me. That never crosses my mind. And I'm guessing it never crosses your mind that somebody else is going to take it from you. But I can almost guarantee you, we've all struggled with this. But what if I lose it? Last night I had to do something very scary. I handed my daughter my credit card. And I said, do not lose this. Don't lose this. Because you're going to put me in a bind of hurt if you lose this thing. Because it's on a lot of websites. It's on a lot of different things. It's on my phone saved. I don't need to even, I don't want you to, don't lose this thing. I don't want to deal with it. And that's a scary thing to do. Thankfully, she gave it back to me just a little bit ago. It's safe and sound. Okay? But there definitely was a little bit of a lack of trust in handing that over. Right? Because we are forgetful people. That's just how it goes. There's a fear, I think, of all of us that we start to say, what if I'm just not doing enough to get to heaven? I know you're talking about Jesus, and you're, no, I know you're talking about his finished work on the cross, but deep down inside there's something just telling me that maybe I didn't go to church enough. Maybe, maybe I didn't share the gospel with my neighbors. And because of that, there's, I, just didn't, I just didn't do enough. You see, what that thinking is that you seal your inheritance. That you're the one in control of the inheritance that is promised in Christ. But that, that's a problem. It's not on you. Christ has given it to you and the Holy Spirit has sealed it for you. You can't take it away. That's not something that you are going to do. And so we have this promised inheritance that is sure and it is sealed. And once again, what does this do for us? It frees us. Because we see the generosity of God in this don't we? We see the generosity of God in making this about him once again, saying, listen, you have an inheritance, but don't worry about it. I've got it all covered. It's yours. It's yours. Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about this. It's, it's very reminiscent of the prodigal son, isn't it? Now, if you listen to the Smile FM broadcast on Sundays, you should be an expert on the prodigal son because they've played it about 100 times, uh, Pastor Spencer's sermon in a row. So 
Now, maybe you haven't memorized it at this point, which maybe you need to. I don't know what's going on with that. Hopefully we'll fix that soon. But in the story of the prodigal son, what happens? The, guy, the kid squanders everything. And what happens when he goes back? Oh, it's sealed for you. Come on. Come on. Your inheritance isn't based off you. The money and all that, come back. And I, and I heard it said once, I was reading somebody, and he said, if the prodigal son did it a hundred more times, guess what the father would do every time? Get the calf. Let's get the, let's get the party going. The son is back. He's back again. You see, because it wasn't about the, the son. It's a, it was the love of the father for the son. The love he had. And so his place in the family was sealed by the father. It was, it was his forever. Guaranteed. And that's what we have in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have an inheritance that is yours and it will not go away. It is promised to you. And if that's not enough, what we see in verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now I know I read these verses all the time, but I'm going to read them again. And I hope that you, get, I hope that you memorize them. I read them this week at Casey's funeral. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. And I hope that this continues to sink in your head because nothing can separate you from God. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or a sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, notice this, nor life. I think that's where some of us get mixed up. We like to think about the fact that death isn't going to separate us from God, which is true, which is such a great hope and promise to give to people. But it also says what? Life is not going to separate us from God, doesn't it? Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing separates us from our Father. It's so easy in this world for us to get separated from our relationships in this world, isn't it? When you graduated high school, you probably said, friends forever, and you haven't seen them since. You might think of them sometimes, but you haven't seen them since. And the next time you see them might be at their funeral. When you say, oh, I remember I went to school with him. It's so easy for us to get lost in our relationships. Distance can easily separate us from our relationships. Time, busyness of schedule. It's so easy for us to lose connection in our relationships. Some of you haven't talked to a friend because of some silly argument from 10 years ago. And when you really think about it, you know how silly it is, but now pride won't let you go back to that friend. Business can separate us in relationships. But 
What we're told here is being in Christ means there will never be a separation from our relationship with our Father because it is in Jesus and his work is perfect and complete. He loves us with a never-ending love, a love that will never end, it will never stop. You know, this world is so quick to discard. It's, it's so quick to move on to the next thing. But this isn't how God works in Christ. Jesus doesn't discard you. His love for you is, is so deep that the Bible tells us he would give his life for you. That's how deep it is. Don't get me wrong, trials will come. Struggles are going to come in your life. There are things that are going to come up that are going to seem so Big. There's going to be suffering that happens that you feel the breath in your lungs leaving you. It feels like you're suffocating because of what is happening all around you. Yet, the Bible tells us here in Romans chapter 8, as those who are in Christ, through all of this, we are more than conquerors because of him who loved us. Death can't touch us. Life can't touch us. Trials and tribulations can't touch us. Suffering can't touch us because the Bible tells us that through our suffering, we become more like Christ. God uses that in our life to be more like Jesus. Then lastly, we have in Christ, we have been promised to spend eternity with God. I want to read for you John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. I remember growing up in this church and sitting under Pastor Damon, and I felt like he said these verses every week. At least for me as a kid, I heard them every week. I go to prepare a place for you. There I'm going. And as a kid, my mind would think about that place. What does that look like? Is God really building it? Does he have other people building it? I mean, all these things would like run through my mind. How is that functioning? How is that happening? But it would always cause me, too, to think about the truth that after death, something happens. And that there's a truth in the, in the word of God that for the people of God, after death, you get to go and be with him forever. And so even at a young age, I never thought, you know, after death, it's just nothing. Or it's just hopelessness. No, there was, there was always this truth from God's word that after death that you do have an eternity to spend and it's either with God or to be in the wrath of God. And so I'm sure that all of us have, have thought about heaven and I don't want to go into some big long explanation. There's actually a book by uh, Randy Alcorn. It's called, <clears throat> it's called Heaven. It's a really good book. You should, you should get it if you're interested uh, in studying more about, about heaven. I think we have it in our library uh, upstairs. but there's this promise that we've been given in Christ that we will get to spend eternity with God our Father in a new heavens and a new earth forever. And there's promises that go along with that, that in this time there'll be no more hurting, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, and all of this is because of what Christ has done for us. Think about that. An eternity of of no sin, an eternity of no more shame and guilt. Like you say, well, Pastor Jimmy, you just said that Christ has freed us, and so we don't have to have shame and guilt. We don't have to, but we do, don't we? We still struggle with it. But, but what we've been promised in Christ is there's coming a time when that'll be no more. 
that the people of God, the family of God, those who have been adopted into God's family, the Bible says will have every, every single tear wiped from their eye. There'll be no more hurt and no more sorrow. We'll get to be in a place with God where the curse of sin has been, is gone and everything is restored and it's perfect and we'll get to enjoy God and we'll get to actually enjoy each other forever and perfection. And now God in his great kindness gives us, I think, little glimpses of this here on this earth. You know, those, those times when you feel really close to your spouse. I think is a little glimpse of what relationships will be like in heaven. Right? The, the time when as the church feels really, really unified and it feels good to see each other and be with each other. That's a, a little glimpse, I think, of what it'll be like in eternity in heaven. Or those times when God pours out his grace on you and you're, maybe you're singing a song with the church body and you just feel God working in the midst of that and the, the words that you are singing are really just being internalized by you and you're like, this is so true of who God is. And I don't know, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's not, but we, we thank God for those moments. Why? Because that's a, that's a small picture of what it'll be like to be with him forever. Right? Where you just have this clear understanding of who God is and the love that he has for you. This is the promise that we have been given in Christ. Our generous father has set all of this up and he secured it all for you so that you can see his generosity and so that you can continue to, to love him. There's really no author call this morning. There's really, I don't really even have an action step that they say you should have in preaching or whatever. I want you to just really revel and think about how generous God has been to you in Christ. Because again, I only touched a little bit of it. There, there's much more to talk about of, of what we have in Christ. See, when you, when you apply for a new job, you want to know, well, what do I get? How much do I make per hour? Or what is my salary? What are my benefits? You know, what, do I have dental? Do I, do I get free eyeglasses? Can I go to the doctor and pay for the prescriptions? What's retirement like? You know, you, you want to know the package. You want to know, know what you're going to get. And then you decide yay or nay from there. What the Bible says we get in Christ is everything. It's everything. Nothing falls short. It's, it's all there. It's, it's all covered. And that offer is there where Jesus is saying, take it. It's yours. Because of the accomplished work that I have done. Just, just take it. I guess maybe that would be the action step today. I'm sure there's some of you who've never took it. You think your sin is too deep. Or you think maybe I can do that later. We don't know the day or time when we will meet the Lord. I've, some of you and I myself, sadly, have been around a lot of death lately. And it just reminds me of how fast that can happen. Different ages, different people. We are not promised tomorrow. The Bible is very clear about that. There is a time to be born, but there is also a time to die. And I'm not trying to scare you, but it's just, the, it's just the truth of the matter. And this is the meat of what Scripture tells us. This is the meat of life. Jesus is there offering his grace, offering his forgiveness, saying it's yours. And not just forgiveness, but freedom and inheritance. 
being adopted into a family, getting to spend eternity with God. It is all yours if, if you will believe. And so I would ask you, I guess, to do that this morning, is to believe. And if you're like me and you've believed for a, a long time, I would ask you to hopefully be freshened up. I feel like I need that all. I'm not saying believe again or ask for forgiveness again, but what I would say is hopefully today you've been reminded of how good God is to you, what all he has accomplished for you, and I hope that it will drive you to him more and more. Let's bow together. We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing a song. That's how we always do it. And I want you to respond to the word of God as we sing that song, however you see fit. And then after the song, I'll come up and dismiss us. God, God, we marvel at what you have done for us in Christ. God, in the things that we just simply couldn't do. Like we talked about last week, I want to stop sinning, but I can't. I want to. I want to be holy. That's what your word says. Be holy because I am holy, but I, I can't. But yet we see there in Ephesians that you have forgiven us in Christ. You make us holy. You make us righteous. You, you accomplish all those things for us. And God, I thank you for that grace. God, I pray for that person here this morning who has been struggling in their sin. They know something is wrong. God, I pray that this morning maybe they've seen your goodness in Jesus and they would trust in you. They would believe in what Jesus has done, that he's done it for them. God, we know that if that is true, then you, you save them, you forgive them, you've set them free. Then all that stuff that we talked about this morning is theirs in Jesus. But God, I know that's a work that, that you do. So open blind eyes, open deaf ears. So that the gospel is heard. Thank God for those of us who have been your children for a long time now. I pray that we would understand afresh and even new of what you have done. God, that our motivation in our life would be, be, be Jesus and what he has accomplished. God, that we would understand that freedom of forgiveness day in and, and day out. And to understand that that doesn't cause us to just want to go sin more. No, it want, causes us to want to fight sin just to marvel again at the fact of your grace that even when we fall short still, 30, 40, 50 years later after salvation, you still are like that father with the prodigal son loving us, saying my son is here. So God, I pray that we would feel that freedom in our lives this morning as Christians. God, as we sing this last song, I pray that we'd be able to sing it openly, honestly, truthfully to you, worshiping you and you alone, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.